Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 228. 228. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we got some uh, some interesting news coming out today, man. Uh, looking forward to jumping into it. Yeah, yeah, a lot going on, a lot going on. Uh, a couple of housekeeping keeping, keeping items. The podcast, I have put it in a different spot now. So it's at the, the Five Wide Business Newsletter, so that way you can get emailed to you. Um, so if you want that, just go to fivewide.biz, sign up there. Um and that being said, everything else should work normal. But if you could, for the next week or two, to share around the podcast link wherever you're at, so in case people links get broken or whatnot, um, they can find the show. Josh, man, last week, did you work any? Because I, I, I didn't work a whole lot. Uh, I did, yeah. I was really busy last week, actually. I think yeah. I, got, yeah. I got off uh, Thursday for Thanksgiving. But other than that, I work pretty much every day. Mm, that's terrible that's that's terrible <laughs> yeah yeah well uh well it's not too bad though i mean it was it was nice you know it wasn't like i was working long hours kind of four or five hours a day well four or five hours is a long day for you but whatever that's neither here nor there so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no man a lot to get into uh we got david blackman coming on here in just a little bit crude uh wti crude is trading at 70 dollars 70 39 this morning uh so yeah well, i'm sure he's got some strong opinions about that and then um oh yeah hey listen high voltage property management there you go there's your little ad uh if you're looking for property management for your residential commercial or storage units uh contact one of us josh at high voltage property management would be happy to take care of you there okay where are we going bud all right so um i know i know we got a guest coming on in a bit uh i wanted to, to start with an article that came out about the texas railroad commission so the there's some some news came out that the texas railroad commission has ties to oil and gas industry and it, uh, there's a report that came out that kind of details some of those ties. Breaking news uh, there. <laughs> the yeah. yeah. industry. That's hard-hitting Dallas Morning News. Yeah. Right there. Good. So, um, so essentially, they're trying to go in and show how the oil and gas industry, I guess, because of their extensive ties to the Texas Railroad Commission, uh, can possibly... I guess I guess they're arguing that it kind of manipulate policy. I guess is is the the angle that they're they're trying mm-hmm. to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to to see them them doing this because uh, the Texas Railroad Commission, in a lot of ways, is what regulates the oil and gas industry. Um, so it's hard. I'm, I, it's hard for me to see what what the purpose of this article really is, uh, other than. Give me your take on it, Ron. I, I'm, well, I have... right. I mean, so you have incompetence in government, which is a, we'll talk about that in a second, but having ties to the industry, there's really um, two, two sides of this, right? Do you want someone to regulate an industry who has no experience with the industry or not? Like that's, that's just kind of the first, right? So, and I think we all would agree, generally speaking, it's probably better to have someone with some 
um, familiarity with the industry. Now, there could be something where it's like a, you know, something that's not um, as technical. You could see some kind of um, where it doesn't really matter as much there. But with all the stuff that the Railroad Commission is in charge of, you want someone who has at least some experience with the oil and gas industry, I would think. So once you say that, then you guys say, well, how involved in the industry can they be? And so do they have to sell all their assets and uh, or put in a trust or some kind of weird thing? And to me, that seems a very fine line, right? So if you're saying that the person can't be involved with the industry while they're serving as a commissioner, just understand that there's going to be ramifications for that. And if, if, uh, if you say they can be, then there's ramifications for that as well. So those are all, to your point, I think, which is what you're getting at, which is those are all insignificant things. They could impact how um, these people, uh, the Rebel Commission is voting, is acting, is moving, whatever. But that's, that's kind of normal, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's normal. We have, we, we like lawyers to Congress. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> raise your hand if you think lawyers are just the most finest, best people in the world, right? So, so mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really weird how we, we, when these issues blow up, how all of a sudden we try to focus on all these, um, all these things. With that being said, if they lied or misled or didn't do their job uh, and caused the free, and were, were responsible for the um, power failure last year, well, that's a separate argument altogether. Like that's, 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 and that's, that's the case that has to be made. And that has nothing to do with whether you're, so you could have no ties to the oil and gas industry, just be completely incompetent and lie and lead to the freeze last year. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the ties can persuade you, the ties can push you. I'm not denying that. I'm saying the question really is, did they lie? Did they mislead? Um, did they uh, influence decisions to be made that were not in the best interest of the public for personal gain? Okay. Well, those are all fine questions to ask. And, um, and let's go from there and see what happens. I, you know, if you're asking me, do they do it? I obviously have no idea. Um, but you know, like, should we be, be surprised this is the case? Well, we'll know. Also, just real, real quick, um, for the Dallas Morning News, um, they have a line in here that I thought was quite interesting. It's called, this is a quote from the from their article, quote, the oddly named Railroad Commission has little to do with trains and, the, and is the chief Texas regulatory a regulator of the state's massive oil and gas history. But yeah, I, I hope the tech, the Dallas Point News realizes that we didn't like, this is not something new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is like, not, no, this is not new. It's not new. Like if you're going to speak on this, you should, you know, you probably should talk like you, like, you know, it, you know, not, not like it's oddly named. And I get why they're probably writing that way, but it makes the, the author of the piece kind of look as if, uh, I don't know who it is. Um, so the, there's, there's something there. So um, obviously what you're saying, Ron, is that it's good to have people that know about oil and gas uh, making calls on some of these decisions, because if you're completely ignorant, then you're not going to be able to make, you know, competent decisions. Now, the flip side of what I guess some other people would say is that it's not necessarily competence that they're worried about. It would be um, play integrity. Yeah. 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 Integrity. So, right. uh, and that would be the risk. And I, I grant that. I mean, that, that, you know, if you, if you have the ability to pass a, a, a bill or a law or regulation that will make you an extra hundred thousand this year, even though it's not the best regulation, you, you're going to have a lot of incentive to do it. So, um, this, but this gets down to the thing that we talk about on the show so many times, the more power you give to an agency, this is what's going to, this is the temptation that's going to be there. Right. So if you have someone who has no idea, no ties to the industry, and you bring them in and put them in charge, 
you don't think people in the industry that want to influence them will try to influence them still? Like you think people are like, oh, well, Bob, Bob knows nothing of oil and gas. Therefore, we won't try to sway him. No, no. Right. They're going to hire Bob's wife, his cousin, his aunt, his uncle. They're going to donate to his campaign. It's good. It's going to happen. Maybe the person you have to have someone with integrity. That's the whole thing here. You have to have someone with integrity who wants to do the right thing. Yeah. What you want to find is that's hard to find, especially when they get this kind of power. Um, and so you have to vote them out and hold them accountable. And that, and so with this issue particularly, you know, of course they have ties to oil and gas industry. That's that's no shock. Um, and so we, we'll see how it pans out. And you know, yeah, there's a, a little thing in here where it talks about uh, Commission Schiff estimated uh, Christy Craddock uh, had at least 1.5 million of stake in the oil and gas industry. Um, and then it says here, Craddock's response in accordance with the Texas Ethics Commission, my personal financial statements were fully disclosed as a letter of the law and publicly accessible. Um, and that these laws ensure transparency of our public officials to maintain the public's trust and our ability to appropriately govern. And I take these laws seriously. Um, yeah. So just looking at that, what they're doing is they're looking at people that who could uh, stand the gain significantly from, um, passing different regulations um, sure. and they're looking at people that have all, all these investments. But again, um, I, so personally, I kind of like where they're coming from in the sense that they want to go after every politician in the country that has any sort of um, opportunities to benefit from their position and go after all of them then we can do it but i i mean i, I don't want to go after just oil and gas more than we go after say somebody who can use burisma or or trump who can benefit from his hotels from i mean there's all sorts of right. stuff there's all sorts of stuff right. that, you, that people and they are doing it that's what that's why the people become politicians that's the whole name of the game is is that well right that and that's the kind of thing it's like okay are we raising a fuss because we found something or we're raising a fuss because we're targeting. And so listen, I don't know my, my stance on politicians on the show is quite clear. So I'm not here to defend anyone. Um, I, I we'll see, we'll see what happens, but, um, you know, and, and just what you touched on again is that these, this kind of thinking, it applies to, to all politicians. And so, you know, is there anything here? We'll, we'll find out. And listen, if it is, We'll we'll well on them better than, more than anybody else. So, um, and yeah. the commissioners are welcome to come on and explain their side. We've had on one or two in the past, so if they want to come on, and explain their side, then we're happy to get them on the podcast and ask them all the tough questions. Uh, so, Ryan, we have some articles that came out about the Texas freeze. Uh, oddly enough, the last time our guest was on, that's precisely what we talked about um was that so mm -hmm. um yeah that it, it's interesting that we're going to be revisiting that again now um with him uh, probably something we're going to be going over but anyway the the freeze uh there's what the articles that are coming out from cnbc is nine months after texas freeze the power grid remains vulnerable and energy experts say new regulations allow too much wiggle room for companies to avoid weatherization improvements um you know, one of the questions that we had, Ron, was what are the costs? How are these costs going to pass along to the consumer if they do this weatherization? Mm -hmm. um, and and that may have factored into it. So I, I do understand that this is something that needs to be addressed because it, you know, it, it's a serious issue. If we do have another freeze like that, that, I mean, that's not something that we want to happen again. 
Um, but at the same time, it's got to be cost effective too. Well, and this is, you know, we talked about, I can't remember, you know, like you said, it's been so long, but, you know, should you buy a generator or not? And trying to go through all those things and, um, you know, what, what's the likelihood of it happening again? And so it's funny, I had someone on Twitter uh, tag me on a post. I'm just trying to find it. Um, this uh, last week, and this guy, I don't know who this person is, uh, the, the person that, um, not the person tagged me, the person that's, that's speaking here. But essentially, they're, they're, they're claiming that due to some polar vortex wind out of the West or something, that uh, December 13th, December 13th is the day, I believe, that the panhandle is going to see like minus 12 degree weather or something like that. Now, yeah. I'm not a meteorologist. I'm barely a podcaster, so I have no idea if that's true or not. But I, I was sitting there thinking, oh, man. Not again. Surely not. This is like once in a decade type of it we had here. And so um, hopefully we don't have to go through that again. Because I, okay, obviously with the power failing, but aside from the power, yeah, here it is. Um, This is according to Henrich Leopold, whoever that is. I don't know. Um, by December 13th, zonal west winds are much cooler at four degrees Celsius, now at 12 degrees Celsius. Unable to warm up in the invading polar air, which is flooding the Midwest, Dakotas at minus 36 degrees Celsius. As cold as the Arctic, Colorado, as cold as the Arctic, Colorado at minus 32 degrees Celsius, cold going deep into the panhandle at minus 24 degrees Celsius, which is about minus 11 Fahrenheit on December 13th. So I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea. I'm not big on long term weather uh, forecast. But, but there you go. I, that's my public service announcement for people who are curious. Uh, someone did tag me in that. I have no, literally no idea who the person, the author of that post is. I can't speak to it. But to your point is, you know, did they do – so if we have that, we're going to find out real quick in a hurry whether mm -hmm. it can sustain it. Now, that doesn't mean the whole state will be blanketed. Obviously, it could be different. Um, but, you know, if we see these cold temperatures again, we're going to find out, you know, were the changes made. And if they're not, listen – if, if the changes haven't been made and we haven't gotten the grid up to date, all these things for the past article, they're going to go away because all those people are going to have to resign anyways. Like the, the outcry will be so outrageous to and they'll get primaried. So they better hope that they've made enough steps because if not, it won't matter. People are going to run against them, primary them, and they're going to get voted out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, that's going to be curious to see, man, because we don't, we don't need that. I know, uh, I remember, just one example is, is while we were here, the, our next door neighbor, and I, I may have mentioned this on the show, um, ambulance had to come. Um, I mean, they were in bad shape. Um, they were, you know, all oxygen and didn't have any power, no gas, no heat. Um, it was, it was, uh, not the, the best situation around here. So, uh, it puts a lot of lives at, at, at risk when, when we lose power like that, you know, we've become so dependent on it. Uh, there needs to be, it needs to be someone that can at least evaluate the situation and see what needs to happen. I mean, that, that, well, shouldn't... that that's the, that's the frustrating thing is that we're so politicized now. You don't know who to trust, right? Mm -hmm. Have we made the upgrades? Have we not? Republicans will say we have maybe and Democrats won't or whoever on what side. And you don't know, you don't know um, who to trust. Another thing is, is that the, the Texas grid is obviously a big, big grid, big place. And so there's probably vulnerabilities that are, that are hard to find, just because it's a lot of work, a lot of effort, takes a lot of time. So, so you kind of have this, the, the natural baked in potential for bad things to happen just because 
you're talking about such a huge area. But aside from that, it's hard to know who to trust right now. And so uh, we might find out. And unrelated, un, unrelated news, I did order some firewood. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just firewood. Just, we need to get just, one of them heaters that can heat like a, a room because last time we were we were all bunkered up in sleeping bags and in, in the master bedroom. All of me, my wife, kids, we were all huddled up. No oh, heat. Oh yeah. So we would do that for as long as we could stand it, and then we'd run out to the car, turn the heater on, and go get some gas and slip and slide all around. Oh, it was it was crazy, man. And you know that's that was this year. That wasn't like that wasn't like last year or two years ago. That was this year that that happened. So I think I see David back there in the green room. David, give us a thumbs up if you can hear us. I'll bring you on. Uh, there he is. Okay, well, the man, the myth, the legend himself, David Batman. <laughs> How's it going, sir? Hey, fine. I'm sorry to be doing this on my cell phone. I'm no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Not at uh, home today. Oh, what, what's that? I'm not at home today. Oh, okay. Well, good for you. Hopefully you have been, uh, good <laughs> travels. David, so we have to apologize. We said we're going to get you on more regularly, and we, we didn't do that this year. But next year, our commitment to you is to get you on more regularly because we love your insight. There we go. So, um, we were just talking. The last time we had you on, we were talking about the freeze. Of course, a lot of stories broke this past few days about whether the grids improved, where the railroad commission was in cahoots, all kinds of stuff. Give <laughs> us we we need a perspective. So give us your perspective on what's happened with the freeze since the last time we spoke. Well, you know, you know, they've done some good things. Uh, they've they've uh, you know got most, uh, if, if not all, of the critical natural gas production and transportation infrastructure now designated properly as critical infrastructure. Uh, which virtually none of it was in February because, frankly, the, the operators and the companies that operate uh, a lot of the pop pipelines had not, you know, uh, filed their annual one-page form that they're required to file to be designated that way. And so during the freeze, uh, a lot of those facilities had electricity cut off to them, and that's why they froze up. Had, had you know, as long as the gas is flowing, through compressors and through wellhead equipment and, and through the pipelines, that equipment is not going to freeze. It, it will remain flowing. But when you turn the electricity off, the compressors go off because most of them have been converted from burning natural gas uh, to, burn, to, to using electricity instead to, because of global warming activists and, um, and, and to reduce emissions. And so that's a consequence. It's a, you know, one of the unexpected consequences of all this hysteria about global warming. Um, so that's happened. Uh, the PUC um, has recommended to all the power companies that, you know, that operate the power stations that they winterize their equipment. Whether that's been done, uh, nobody seems to know. No one can tell me. No one at the governor's office will return my phone calls. Uh, because they don't like some of the stuff I've written about the grid, I guess. <laughs> and then the, you know, so so hopefully some of that's happening. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I was told yesterday the PUC and its new regulations is not going to require any of these power plants to be winterized to 2021 standards. Uh, they're going to require them to winterize to the standard of 2011 when we had that previous storm, which was not quite as severe. And so um, there, there are gonna be some requirements in these new regulations to winterize, but it won't be up to um, 
the requirement that would have gotten us through last February. And then the final thing that, you know, is the big elephant in the living room that I've written about many times, and it's why the governor's office doesn't like me, I think, is that we have a lack, uh, a, a very severe shortage of thermal dispatchable reserve capacity on our grid. And that means we don't have natural gas power plants, a fleet of plants, anywhere in the state ready to come online during a weather emergency like we had last February. And, and so, that, you know, and no one is doing anything, the legislature, the governor's office, PUC, or ERCOT, nobody is doing anything to incentivize or require new capacity to be built. So that's where we are. We have a shortage of capacity and we all should pray we don't have another big winter storm. Well, I, um, I was just telling the listeners that um, someone tagged me in a post on Twitter. I'm not a weatherman. Don't pretend to be one. And some some person is arguing that by December 13th, we're going to have a really cold winter storm move through. Have you heard that? Any forecast outlook for what the winter should be? Because obviously <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. I don't, you know, you, I barely keep up. You live in North news, Texas. So just... Yeah. I <laughs> What's mean, that? We both, live, we both live in North <laughs> Texas. We know that the weather guys up here can't tell us what the weather's going to be this afternoon, much less on December 13th. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe there might be some long range forecast out there that says that, but I, I haven't heard that. We expect you to know everything, David, when you come on. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know well, anything like that. No, that's okay. Yeah, we yeah we we definitely don't either. But someone tagged me in it, and this guy was like, I don't know, some kind of vortex and coal and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about here, but whatever. Um, okay, well, let's talk a little, a little oil and gas here. Um, you know, I, I know you wrote something last week talking about the SPR release. Um, as we're looking at this morning, WTI's trade at seventy one eleven. Maybe back us up with your thoughts on the SPR release and what we should look for, um, at least on the U.S. side, companies to respond as they are you know, looking forward to 2022. Uh-oh. I think, I think we lost him. I think we lost him there. That might be it. The one weather question. That was enough for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's he's froze. Let me just put him back in the green room there for a second. Well, yeah, he's okay. He's gonna come back in, I think. Anyways, so I don't know, Josh. What do you think? He, he sounds like he's there's there's some improvements been made on the grid, but plenty of things that need to be done. Yeah, you know. So um, just looking at it, I, I know we talked a little bit about coal at one point. Uh, the the question I, I have is uh, with all these things that are happening, um, if they are not doing taking the necessary precautions to at least have some backup plans for for this um that's just not a good look that's just not a good look at all i mean it's putting a lot of people's lives at risk i mean even if they're saying look this is what we need to do and it's going to take us three years to do it but we're working on it that that's actually reasonable but just ignoring it or pretending like it doesn't exist that's just not going to cut it um well be back david well, I don't know. I'm sorry. That's all right. No, no, no. We thought the weather question got you. We got you mad at us. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just uh, don't have a good enough signal here. Apparently. Well, I tell you, it's um. Let's see here. We can hear you fine. We'll turn. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I don't. I don't think. 
maybe you want to turn your video off on your end. I don't know if you can do that or not um, on the phone. I think I can. Let's there we go. Maybe that'll help the signal some. Okay. Um, we're, what we're going to next, David, was the SPR release. We talked about, I know you wrote something last week um, uh, about that. You've been covering it. What are your thoughts on the SPR release and how it might impact uh, the U.S. side going into 2022? Well, uh, you know, it, it really, I don't think, will have any real impact at all. I noticed that, uh, of course, we had a big collapse in oil prices Friday because of this new strain of covid that everyone seems to be panicking about, except for the people in South Africa who discovered it. Um, you know, but uh, apparently it's uh, the price has recovered somewhat today, and I would expect that uh, to be a pretty temporary phenomenon. The, the release itself was, uh, you know, they were already going to release 20 million barrels because of something Congress did early in the year as a pay for, you know, they're, they're selling oil to pay for one of their spending programs. Um, and, and so it's really only 30 million barrels with another 10 million supposedly coming from India and Japan, which is altogether 40 million barrels of oil, which is four tenths of one day's consumption globally uh, and two days of U.S. consumption. So it's nothing. It's it's a it's a rounding error in the global uh, market, and so it's not going to really that that release itself, other than psychologically, won't have any real impact on supply and demand. And it's frankly a, a pretty poor way to use the SPR, which is uh, of course there for national emergencies. And I'm sorry, three dollars and twenty five cents for a gallon of gas is expensive, but it's not a national emergency, and it just shouldn't be done. So uh, I, I was looking at some articles that came out um, kind of related to this, but uh, so this is NBC News. Um, and the title of the article is Biden administration seeks to raise the price to drill for oil and gas on public lands. Uh, now, I thought this was like a misprint or something because yeah. I know the gas prices have been <laughs> higher. And so when I saw this, I thought, well, that, that surely, surely this is, this must be like an old law or something that was done a, a little while back. That's just now coming out. So, so no, it no, appears it's... that this is a brand new thing that just was released a couple of days ago. So in order right. to combat higher gas prices, they're going to raise the prices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's um, just. You know, it's just one more sign that there is no coherent energy policy in this administration. other than trying to destroy the domestic PR release was just the PR stunt. Uh, you know, they're trying to convince consumers that they're doing something about high gas prices while not really doing anything. And, and, and so this is the kind of nonsense, frankly, that we've gotten from this administration since the day it took office. And, um, you know, that, that, deal you're talking about is increased fees for drilling on federal lands, a higher royalty rate, uh, which I got to be honest, guys, I don't have a problem with them raising the royalty rate on federal production. I, uh, I you know, it's uh, we've been paying 25% royalties on fee leases, private leases in this country for 20 years now. And the federal government standard royalty rate is either 12 and a half percent or in some cases, 
16.67%. So, you know, I mean, producers on federal lands have been getting a big break on their royalties for a long time anyway. Uh, but it's just what it is. And I think in question is it's just a sign that this administration really not serious about lowering gasoline prices. It's, it's trying to hide the fact that its policies are causing the higher gasoline prices and not doing it very, very successfully. Well, do you, do you think that the SPR will hold the prices down in spite of, I mean, this is going to raise the prices some, I'm not, I'm not sure how much because it doesn't specify what the royalty rates are going to go to, uh, yeah. but maybe, you know, the SPR will, uh, for a, a specific amount of time, hold it down while the, these push it up. So maybe it was strategic to do them at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think psychologically, well, I mean, I can't even say that to be honest with you, Josh. Um, uh, the day that Biden made his announcement, the price of oil went up by $3 a barrel. It went up. It didn't go down. That was the initial reaction from the market was that, well, this is such a tiny volume. It's not going to make any difference. So I don't, mm. I just don't think that the SPR thing really has any real impact on the markets. Now, COVID, on the other hand, this new variant, um, to the extent governments start shutting down their economies again, that could have a real impact on oil prices. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that all evolves. Um, Japan, I've I, I noted this morning, I saw a story that said Japan was uh, closing its borders again and trying to keep this variant out of their country. So, you know, if if the world shuts down again, then we'll have low prices again. But uh, the the SPR release really doesn't have any impact on it, in my view. Okay, so let, let's let's kind of talk about that for a second. Um, obviously, we don't know what the world's going to do. Uh, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of Texas weather. We have no idea. <laughs> this right. All bets are off after last year, so we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but can or how can um, the U.S. industry survive? Um, next year, can, can, can they keep this kind of, I'm, I'm calling it low drilling, for lack of a better term, this low drilling rate going into 2022 through the midterms? Do we have to pick up production? Um, how much pressure is there on the industry? Because it feels like there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say conflicting, in, in, uh, conflicting messaging, but it's kind of hard to get a read for how these producers are um dealing with this because on some level yeah. how they handle their stocks and stuff like that. It's like, okay, well they're making money. They're paying dividends. It seems great. But as we know, you've got to drill wells to make money. So how much longer can we ride it out like this? Well, I, I just think it's kind of a, a cycle we're stuck in for the time being uh, until we have a major energy crisis, which we may experience over this winter and people wake up and realize that we can't just shut down the oil and gas industry because a bunch of environmentalist activists demand it. And that's what really the conflict here is. You see these CEOs of, of these corporations uh, kowtowing to the activists. And as you, you know, I think your question implies, they've cut back on their drilling budgets. They're very reluctant to start drilling wells again uh, because they don't want to, you know, be canceled by the woke crowd on Twitter, uh, essentially. I mean, that's basically what this boils down to. 
but the private companies, you know, the, the privately owned companies are ramping up their drilling out in the Permian Basin and other parts of the country, the Haynesville Shale, even the Eagle Ford Shale is seeing an increase in rig count. That's a slight one. Uh, and more frack crews being activated by private companies, privately owned companies that don't have to deal with activist investor groups. And so we have this dichotomy in the industry right now. And um, but I, th I just think the corporations are going to be afraid of their own shadows from now on until we have a major energy crisis, which I believe is inevitably going to happen as soon as this winter, possibly, at least in Europe and Asia. And once that happens and the world wakes up and realizes, oh, you know, uh, trying to keep us below one degree, you know, make a one degree temperature dif difference over 100 years, it means we're going to pay $10 a gallon for gasoline instead of three and a quarter. Golly, we may not really support that policy after all. And that's what I think is going to have to happen for all of it to change in uh, Unfortunately, I think it's inevitable that that will happen and um, maybe sooner than I, you know, I, I had thought it was going to be around 2024, 2025 timeframe. Uh, but it really the way things are looking in Europe and Asia right now, if we do have a cold winter, um, it could happen this winter. Yeah, going back to the Global Energy Leaders podcast days, I, I remember we had some discussions about that and that if yeah. that, that started in late 2016, that show. And that if, if things didn't change, what you're going to have is this tragic event where you had something avoidable, more or less, um, and you didn't prepare for it. And then you come to the spot to where um, there's there's people that are dying or you know in bad health or, or, or you know, losing power for days and starving or whatever happens. Um, you know, that that is the type of thing that you could see really shift the narrative. It's not what you want to see to shift the narrative. Right. You don't want you don't want a um, a terrible right. event. To have to reshape policy because that sometimes has its other other events, uh, other consequences. But um, we've seen with some of the COVID stuff uh, over the past year that that's definitely had people requestion a lot of their their policies and politics. And so this would be um, an event like that. And, and obviously, none of us hope it comes to that. That's not. And wait, that's not what we're. Can looking. I add to this too? Can yeah, go ahead. Can I yes, please. Uh, well, you cut out the again. Right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're about to, you're about to go on okay. a good rant. I, I wanted to hear it. So go ahead. Sorry, man. Um, so these power companies are all corporations too, by the way. And they're reluctant to build natural gas power plants because of the woke crowd on Twitter. They don't, they don't, don't want to be criticized. They're afraid of their activist investors. And it's one of the reasons why we don't have enough natural gas fired capacity on the Texas grid right now. So everybody's building a bunch of wind turbines that, that lost 97% of what they were generating at the depths of that freeze last year. And solar panels, which flatlined for two days in Texas during that freeze. And, and you can build all the wind and solar you want to build, folks. You can build, you can cover West Texas in, in windmills if you want to. But in the depths of a storm, it's going to be useless because they're going to freeze up and, and they're not being built to survive storms like that. And no one's going to require them to because they know the news media, the Houston Chronicle and the Texas Tribune will go crazy if you require these, these wind and solar companies to actually spend the money they ought to be spending 
to ensure they can generate in an emergency. And so that's why, I mean, this, this same dynamic is, is, is a big problem on the Texas grid. And it's going to take action by Republican politicians in Austin to change that. And they're all afraid of their own shadows, too. So this is all about climate change activism. It's why we have these problems. Texas never had any major blackout issues until we started trying to work wind energy into our grid. You can look it up. I did. Um, and, and it just... It is what it is. It all relates to climate change policy. And, and it's going to take, unfortunately, major changes in energy and environmental policy take uh, major catastrophes to happen before we can do it. And that's what's going to happen here sometime at, you know, in the next two or three years. Josh, I don't know about you, but that sounded like David was announcing a, candidate, a candidacy for something. Uh, you going to up for railroad commission president, David? You want to make a formal oh, announcement? Oh, God. Where's oh, yours? Man. No, I'm too old, man. <laughs> <laughs> if I was 45, I'd actually probably think about it, but I'm 65. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David. Well, we will, um, I guess, wrap it up with that. That's a good, good way to close it out there. Where can people find you? Obviously, um, Forbes, Shell Mag, anywhere else? Uh-oh, he cut out on the plug. Um, I'll, uh, let's see if he can't come back. I'll find his stuff. Uh, Forbes and Shell Mag, I believe, are the two main spots David is at. And we'll link to his LinkedIn as well. So, um, okay, let's see here. He dropped out. Okay. All right, Josh, what else we got, brother? All right. Uh, a couple last things. Uh, as David Blackman mentioned, I'm sure everybody knows Omicron variant uh, rattles oil markets. We're not sure how that's going to play out, really. Um, so that'd be something that uh, is going to be in the news this week. Uh, BP plans a large scale green hydrogen project in the UK. Uh, that's just something just to keep an eye on, uh, just kind of see how BP does. It may encourage other investments in some uh, greener energy. Um, and with that, Ryan, I think that's it, man. Okay. And thanks David for coming on. We'll be sure to get him on more next year. That's my fault for not reaching out more often. He's always gracious with his time, even when he's traveling. So we appreciate that listeners with that until next time, keep climbing.